Conveyancing Coffee Break, the bite-sized podcast for busy conveyancing professionals, brought to you by Lawshore Insurance. My name is Mandy Brown, and during these episodes, we'll be discussing topical and relevant issues and case studies on a whole raft of conveyancing subjects. Hello and welcome to our podcast with me, Mandy Brown and Richard Snape. Today, we're going to look at one specific area from the last Zoom conference we did when talking about grounds of opposition and renewal terms under the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954, specifically to look in more detail at some of the issues regarding Ground F. Richard, can you remind us what Ground F says? Yeah, I mean, as I'm sure people appreciate, ground F is the most uh, litigated ground for the landlord to oppose a new lease, uh, the intention to demolish and reconstruct. Uh, to or to um, specifically, I'll give you the quote from it, uh, from what Section 31F of the 54 Act says. It's, it's a bit of a paraphrase, but uh, on the termination of the current tenancy, the landlord intends to demolish or reconstruct the premises comprised in the holding or a substantial part of those premises or to carry out substantial work of construction on the holding or part thereof, and they could not reasonably do so without obtaining possession. And that's the gist of it. It goes on for a bit longer, but I think that gives the idea. I say it's basically you know, usually just known as the intention to demolish or reconstruct the premises. Can you tell us some of the major issues in relation to Ground F? Yeah, there was a case I mentioned in the in the conference because you can't not mention it. It's quite it's certainly one of the most important uh, cases that the fifty four actors ever had, and it was the first case to get to the House of Lords as they were. In 1959, a case called uh, Betty's Cafe and Phillips Furnishing Stores. Not any old cafe. This is, uh, some of you may know it, Betty's Tea Rooms in Harrogate. They've also got uh, um, tea rooms in York and Weatherby, but this was the Harrogate one. I think the original one. And suffice to say, the House of Lords dealt with when you have to have that intention to demolish or reconstruct the premises and it's not at the time your landlord serves the Section 25 notice. It's the time they go to court if they go to court. So the landlord um, can do a lot of the groundwork you know, at a later stage uh, after they've um, you know, sort of served the Section 25 notice. Incidentally, I mean, what the tenants should be doing is if they think the landlord might have an intention to demolish and reconstruct but not be ready with the works quite yet, they should sort of push it along and request the new lease as soon as they can under Section 26, which is the end of the fixed term of the tenancy. Six months duration, has to be six to 12 months duration, and hopefully the landlord can't show that intention by the time you go to court. Um, perhaps the other case to mention before we mention a couple, two or three specific cases, was a it was a pre-54 Act case. Uh, um, there was a predecessor to the 54 Act just after the Second World War. Uh, and um, it's a case called Cunliffe and Goodman, which applies to Ground F and Ground G. A lot of this does, you know, Ground G being occupying for your own purposes. Cunliffe and Goodman was a 1950 case, and uh, Lord Justice Asquith, it was called an appeal case, and Lord Justice Asquith said that you have a two-stage process to showing Ground F applies. Firstly, you have to have an intention to carry out the works and demolish and reconstruct. And secondly, well, they said it's got to be a well-founded intention. And famously, uh, Lord Justice Asquith said it's got to be out of the zone of contemplation and into the valley of decision. It's the kind of thing that the law's lost. 
no Langrisby portal in those days. Um, but secondly, uh, quite separately, you have to have a real chance or a real prospect of bringing about that intention. And those are the two tests. I wanted to talk about perhaps one of the two cases that illustrates that. And also perhaps a third test, which has arisen this last uh, well, couple of years or three years. Richard, I understand there was a Supreme Court case almost three years ago, which added to what you just said. Can you tell me a bit about that, please? Yeah, it was a bit of a course celeb, although it hasn't really percolated through perhaps as much as it could. I should have done it. It's in December of uh, 2018. It was a case called S. Francis in Cavendish Hotel. There was a, I mentioned it in the, in the video, but uh, there was another case based on the same background facts uh, in the early summer of this year, which I perhaps should mention as well, because it, it it's a good illustration, albeit a, you know, sort of perhaps an unusual sight. And the background was, um, it's S. Francis, like it's in central London, it was in German Street, where you get your fancy tailored clothes and the likes in St. James's. And like all the central London, it involves sort of underletting and sub-underletting, but I'll, I'll simplify that. Cavendish Hotel, have a hotel there. And on the edge of well, between German Street and Duke Street in London. German Street runs parallel with Pic- Piccadilly, as a lot of you'll know. Um, uh, but uh, they had granted a lease to of the ground floor and basement area to uh, S. Francis. Uh, it was a 25-year lease from the 1989. And uh, the uh, S. Francis, uh, they... they, they produce sort of tapestries and cloth and you know, fancy cloth like that. This was actually an art gallery. It was the St. James's Art Gallery that had been leased out on this 25-year lease. It was 54 out protected. And uh, they, S. Francis, have served a notice, Section 26 request, wanting a new lease under the Act. Uh, and Cavendish Hotel didn't want them to get a new lease. So they opposed on ground F. They intend to demolish, can reconstruct, carry out substantial works. It was established that they genuinely intended to do this work. But the reason they wanted to do it was solely to be rid of their tenants. This was a test case. They'd been, this had been happening not irregularly for some time. They would just plan works to get rid of the tenants. And if they can do that, then you may as well not have the 54 Landlord and Tenant Act. Uh, at all if they're prepared to pay a bit of money in construction works. I mean, for instance, uh, I mean, the court, the, the Supreme Court recognised there was no utility to what they were doing. They, I remember they were lowering the basement, uh, they intended to lower the basement and create a step, you know, which didn't need to be there. There was a couple of smoke vents, um, which they were just moving slightly to one side. And most bizarre of all, they were knocking down a wall and replacing it with an identical wall. And the question really was, that, can you use uh, ground F in those circumstances? The High Court uh, back in 2017 uh, said that you could and the landlord was entitled to oppose a new lease as a consequence. But uh, it went to, it didn't go to the Court of Appeal because of its significance. It leapfrogged the Court of Appeal, if you remember the concept, and went straight to the Supreme Court. And say so just before Christmas in 2018, the Supreme Court said, uh, you couldn't plan the work over you know, around being rid of your tenants. There was Lord Sumption who was there, and they gave the major judgment and basically said that there's a separate test that the landlord has to show before they can use ground F. They're over and above what we talked about previously in Cunliffe and Government. They had to show, there was about four tests, if you like. If the tenant had left of their own accord, would you still be doing the work? 
And because you couldn't show that, they uh, said that the tenant was entitled to a new lease. And that was back in, say, December of 2018. What subsequently happened? Well, the tenant was entitled to a new lease, and then they started uh, agreeing the terms. Well, there was a big argument over the rent for the new lease. The rent of the existing lease was uh, based on a rent review from about 2011. The existing lease had come to an end in 2016. Uh, there's been a request for a new lease that brought the existing liability to an end. It was to held over for a couple of years. But um, when you go through a, a renewal, the way the Act deals with it is that they separate things like the, the duration. The duration is no more than 15 years, but the tenant usually gets what they're asking for as long as they're not asking for a very short term, which wasn't the case here, and they're not asking for longer than their original lease. The holding is the holding held by the tenant at the time of court hearing. You put, uh, and They categorise other terms as well, any other terms, but uh, the usual sticking point is rent. It's market rent with a few assumptions and disregards. And uh, it's probably a sign of the times of what's happened with the lockdowns and the likes. The passing rent, the current market rent for this uh, art gallery was £220,000. And based from you know, quite a few years ago since it was that uh, assessed at that. The new rent was assessed at 102000 it was less less than half the current rent. Now there have been other cases in London where the rents have less than half, you know, or less than half what they were in a renewal. They also entitled to an interim rent backdated to 2016, January 2016, when the old lease came to an end. But uh, the interim rent, there was a big argument about it, uh, was set at. Uh, well, the court recognised that. Well, the tenants accepted the tenants' valuation of 140,000, but because of the damage done to the landlord, when there's an opposition, you can take into account the cushioning effect, and that was set at 164,000. But the rent was reduced between from 220,000 to 102,000. I never thought I'd say it, but one of the factors was uh, there are quite a few empty properties in German Street at the moment. You mentioned there's got to be a real chance of achieving your aims. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I mean. It hasn't got to be a certainty, but um, in the, over the years, the same with ground G occupation for your own purposes. The usual sticking point tends to be what about planning permission if planning permission is needed? And uh, a series of cases going back many years, so you don't have to have planning permission or a certainty of planning permission, but a real chance or a real prospect or a reasonable prospect would a man of business take the risk? that you're going to get planning permission. So, you know, it's a bit, again, vague, if you like. I mean, I remember there was a case, for instance, called uh, Cadogan and McCarthy and Stone in 1996, where they said that, you know, there's got to be a real chance, which is not merely fanciful, but uh, doesn't have to be more likely than not. But the case I wanted to perhaps stress was another case I did mention, a more recent case from 2019, a high court case called uh, Warwickshire Aviation and Littler Investments. It all took place, it's an airfield, there'd been an airfield owned by the Littler family, it's a private airfield, in a place called Wellsbourne Mountford, which is, as I recollect, it's, it's in Warwickshire, as the name would suggest, and uh, it's quite close to Stratford and Avon, and there'd been a, so they'd owned this private airfield since the 1930s, and uh, they, there were several people, uh, tenants of this airfield, on oral yearly tenancies, doesn't seem to be any formality whatsoever. Warwickshire Aviation had entered into a lease in, in March, March the 25th in 2004 of the premises, and they were 
running a aircraft maintenance. They'd maintain about 40 to 50 aircraft on this land, on this site in a year. There were a couple of flying schools and one of them was also an air club. And there was a cafe and a couple of other enterprises that didn't really feature too much in the law report. Uh, they weren't making profits. Uh, the Littler family didn't seem to be making much in the way of profits from this airfield. And so they wanted to basically uh, sell it uh, for residential development or, you know, sort of obtain residential development for it and terminate the, the leases of the various you know, tenants of the airfield. The sticking point was that uh, there was uh, usually outside conservation areas don't need planning permission to demolish things. But there was an Article 4 direction from, from the council that... Uh, if you wanted to demolish any of the buildings on that site, then you'd have to get planning permission. And there was a, a preference in the development plan and the local plan that it was only a preference, but it should be used as an airfield. And um, what basically happened is uh, you know, the, the landlord's plans were opposed by the tenants. And the tenants argued, for instance, their businesses were viable. Uh, and also this you know, was good for the locality, for the community. It provided jobs and like The court quite rightly, quite honestly, said that that's no relevance. Um, county Court and the High Court, that's not within the test as to whether the landlord can oppose. The tenants also tried to argue that to show that intention, you've got to have a at least a one in three chance. Uh, but as I mentioned in the Cadogan and McCarthy and Stone case, the, the court said there's no sort of mathematical uh, thing it's just, you know, you've got to have a reasonable prospect and you shouldn't be looking at, you know, what the planning authority might just decide. If you've got no chance of planning permission, fine. And they also dealt with the fact that uh, the preferred uh, use would be an airfield on the basis that it was only a preferred use. And they could always use it for other purposes. If they couldn't get residential development, they could use it for other purposes. And so basically, the, the landlord successfully opposed and the tenants would have to leave a real chance or a reasonable prospect is not a more than 50-50 chance or a more than one-third chance of planning permission. Are there any other issues that give rise to problems in relation to showing a reasonable prospect? Yeah, I mean, again, bear in mind what I started off with in Betty's Cafe and Philips Furnishing Stores. All these things, you can do a lot of the groundwork after uh, you've served your Section 25 notice. If you're not quite ready yet, you should be making the Section 25 notice uh, maximum notice. 12 months is the maximum duration. But things like getting the financing sorted out uh, by the time of any court hearing, getting resolutions of boards of directors is not essential but preferable. And I think, remember, there's two or three cases, similar cases. There's a case in 1990, I remember, called Edwardson Thompson, where they got planning permission and they had the plans for the development sorted out, but they couldn't find a developer by the time of the court hearing. And so the landlords couldn't uh, oppose a new lease and there was a renewal. There's various factors, but again, remember that it's the date of the court hearing. I perhaps should have mentioned earlier on, there's a case, um, Spring of Sutton Coldfield and Summerfield, the former supermarket that made it quite clear that the date of the court hearing means not summary judgment, but uh, it's any full court hearing, if there is one. As always, thank you, Richard. And until next time. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. You have been listening to another episode of Convancing Coffee Break, the only podcast for busy convincing professionals, brought to you by Lawshore Insurance, the UK's leading provider of title insurance. For more information on our free conferences, 
go to www.lawshoreinsurance.co.uk where you can download recent conference recordings.